Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant tommy do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue you mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the walls of world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finish number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey, this Brian's up. Summer is finally here, and if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Dave Schrader is with us. Of course, Andy's here. We've got guests coming up. There's no doubt about it. Oh, by the way, I need to uh, remind everybody that uh, Continuum, the women from Continuum, the weight loss program, are going to be on every Thursday in the first hour. As a matter of fact, I unfortunately have to tell everybody that uh, Doug will not be in tomorrow. His father died. Um, Doug got a call that his father wasn't feeling well. So he got on a plane to fly down to the Carolinas to see his father, and when he got off the plane, he found out his father had died. So that's that's a tough road to hoe when you're on the plane thinking, well, this Mm -hmm. might be the last time I ever see my father alive, and then you don't even get that time. 
Um, and I'm here to tell you, and, and Catherine and Andy know this, that Doug Sprinthal, Doug Sprinthal and I have become very, very close friends, very good friends. He's a very helpful guy. He's the kind of guy, if you need anything, he will take care of it. Uh, I think the world of Doug Sprinthal, and I'm going to miss him being on, uh, I don't know, t- today, or tomorrow, or a couple of weeks, whatever it's going to be. But we wish him all the blessed. God bless him, and uh, all, all the best, I mean. It's just very, very difficult. I don't like to see close friends like that suffer, and then he was very close to his father. So it's going to be a tough road to hoe is all I know. You know, that's a, that's yeah. a bad deal. It's terrible. Yeah, that is. But, yeah, from uh, from now on, uh, uh, Winnie. I'm calling her Winnie whenever she's doing it. Uh, it's Cassie in person, but when she's working, it's Winnie. You know what I mean? I like it. So, yeah, they, uh, the continuum people will be on every Thursday. As a matter of fact, they're going to be on maybe even both hours tomorrow because Doug cannot come in. Obviously, he's, uh, he's out of town. So we'll probably do both hours tomorrow with the uh, continuum people. That would be, of course, Kelly and Danette and Nancy. Looking forward to that as well. Also, really good people. Dave Schrader is with us. Jay Wosley with us as well. Now, you, you, these two you guys know each other, right, Dave? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. I've worked, hey, Dave. worked for years with him. Hey, Jay, how you doing? I'm doing well. Good to hear your Good. voice. Good to hear you too. So, what is this? The uh, launch of season 57 of Ghost Adventures? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, 67, actually. Nice. 67. No, seriously. Yeah. How, how many seasons right. is this now, Jay? Uh, I think they're listing it as 25, I believe. Wow. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of a weird gray area, and there's like been weird. We've been on for so long. There's been weird breaks in the seasons, kind of here and there. But I think at least on Discovery Plus, it's right. It's under the season 25 section. Yeah, the t- reality TV is like uh, dog years, right? You're actually on, I think, for 15 or 16 years. But with seasons wise, it breaks down to 25 oh, because sure. of the way they pick you guys up. But this is uh, this is exciting, man. And you guys are always finding new investigations, new locations exciting stories to kind of break through on and with this new season what can we look forward to yeah there's some really cool ones uh we do a few different uh which one of my favorites are like the old they're like these just these classic haunted houses like they're from the 1800s late 1800s uh big mansions just beautiful architecture full of spirits full of hauntings we have a few of those uh, some really cool houses uh, one that a family actually reached out to us through social media because uh the house they feel was breaking apart the family and they needed help so we went out for that uh a really cool one that is really interesting we should probably go have a whole episode just talking about it uh we do the carmel doll shop in pacific grove california um and i don't know about you guys but Personally, dogs I find pretty creepy. They're very fascinating, but especially in my line of work, the dogs tend to be very creepy. Uh, but it's interesting because you think of like, why would a dog be haunted? And I get asked this all the time, and I've been thinking about it. And I think it's just when people, when like kids, they get a doll, they love this doll. It's their child. They put so much energy into it. They cry with it. They love it. They put so much energy into it. And I think that energy almost gives the doll life. Or when the doll goes away, a bit of that energy is still there. And you put all these dolls together in one area to so a store. It's just such a mix of different energies that it, there's no wonder that paranormal activity is going on. Um, so that was a really cool and place. Uh, they, I, you know what's weird, Jay, with the dolls? 
If I can mention, mm-hmm. um, we've been exploring more and more about the idea of fractalization of souls. So, you know, if a child has a doll, a lot of these kids are, you know, they're having their emotional moments when they're sad, they're upset, they're hugging this doll, they're kind of, you know, the, they're around it, maybe they're abused, they're imbuing this this doll with their energy. And it, you know, I've often wondered, well, why does it sometimes seem a lot darker and more bizarre? Uh, and it might be because there is actually this fractal of of the soul of the the owner of that doll that's left with this, that, that, that sadness, that it becomes a vessel or a channel for that anguish right. that these kids like were dealing with. Yeah, that totally makes sense. You could be lost and confused. And even too, if, you know, this child, even though they might be generally a happy go lucky child and you know, a regular kid, when they're crying in that doll, they're letting out that negativity. They're letting out that anger, whatever is upsetting them, and they're projecting that negativity, that anger into that doll. You know, so it it could be definitely. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, it's something we could go on forever about dolls and just. I mean, how many famous haunted dolls there are? It seems right. like definitely uh, some things going on there. I think well, you need to collect them and send them up to Tom Bernard so that that way he can, you know, have the experience of a lifetime. Catherine, you're going to love having a house full of haunted dolls. I've uh, already, we've already right. done it. What have we done? <laughs> we've already, look, I, I don't, look, I can finally tell the truth. I've got an opportunity. Uh, I walked up in Key West to Robert the doll and I said, you don't look so damn tough to me. And he, <laughs> he never made a move. <laughs> oh, revenge is best served <laughs> up cold, Tom. <laughs> You just wait. I actually, I saw Robert. I took pictures of him. You're supposed to ask permission. He was at TapsCon yes. in, in yep. Florida a number of years ago. I took pictures of him. And, you know, I didn't take it. I, I took it very lightly. Although every picture on my camera vanished on my way home. Everything. Every what? picture I ever had on there was gone. So I don't Ooh. know if that's Robert, if it's just bad timing, if my phone crapped out. I, I don't know. But it's weird that it only happened after I took the pictures of Robert the doll. He found out you yeah, and I were buddies and that's pissed him off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I remember we were filming an episode at a Zach's museum once and mm-hmm. uh, we have a B-roll crew that shoots like reenactments and B-roll and our B-roll uh, producer went into Peggy the doll's room and, oh. you know, I think he went in there wasn't believing the story and he literally like went up to her and just started cursing at her, like kind of just messing around. I guess maybe in his mind making a joke, he just started cursing at her and just being like, I don't believe in you. I don't think anything. Instantly, his nose just started gushing blood. Like, oh. he doesn't get... You know, Serves you right. <laughs> right on the, yeah. on the security. His nose just starts gushing blood. And, Yikes. you know, I've known him for a long time now, and I've never seen him get freaked out like that. I was you know, it's interesting you know, listening to you guys talk about this. Can I ask one this. thing? Oh, go ahead, Tom. Yeah. I just want to add a, a, a quick, quick thing. Uh, it does make sense to me that, that that emotion that children feel, they get very emotional. And I would imagine if they're being comforted by a doll, by holding a doll or whatever, I mean, that, that emotion goes somewhere, doesn't it? Right. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a whole thing called the stone tape theory that they mm-hmm. especially organic, they have a memory. You know, even on a cellular level, uh, there's a memory there. And you project positive and negative energy into something so much it's going to soak up that energy there's actually a japanese scientist i forget his name but he did a whole uh, experiment with water where you would take just samples mm-hmm. of water like you would take yeah. it from a mountaintop that was beautiful and you would freeze it and it would be these beautiful crystals and you would take that water and you would just 
project negativity. He'd be like, I hate you, you're ugly, all this stuff. And for about a month, he'd project negative energy to this water that would be from the beautiful mountain. Then after projecting negative energy, he would freeze it, and that water now would be disfigured, and the crystals would be all malformed and ugly. Really? And then he repeated it again, but then this time projected positive energy, love, things like that. And when he froze it again, it formed the beautiful symmetrical crystals again. And this was repeated over and over and over again. So he basically proved without a doubt to me that, you know, when you project positive or negative energy, that can actually change the molecular structure of water. And the human body is, what, 80% or so made up of water. So that just tells you what positive and negative energy can actually do to us and other organic surfaces. Yeah, it goes so much deeper than just grandma's spirit hanging around in the house right there's so much more to every angle mm. of what a what a haunting really is and i was wondering jay you guys you know for years the show is based on going to uh you know these abandoned locations or famous sites when you get called into a family's home how much more pressure is there on you and the team because now this isn't just wow yeah we had an experience and you can leave a family's mm-hmm. looking for help they're, they're, they feel trapped what's it like to be in that situation uh, it's tough. I mean, I, I like to be able to do it because I want to try to help these people. Uh, but it is a big responsibility. You're dealing with possibly uh, death in the family. You're dealing with uh, troubled times. You're basically dealing with a family that are in the middle of a crisis, possibly something going on. You know, and we're there. They're, you know, and I'm sure they've tried other things. They've tried lots of things. And sometimes we're like their last hope before they're going to lose their mind. So there is a lot of responsibility there. And I take all those cases very seriously, um, and I do I do enjoy them. I you know obviously I don't enjoy their pain, but I enjoy being able to help people. Um, I think it's something you know it's studying the people, studying the stories, studying the home, the land, kind of taking everything into consideration and trying to offer these people all right. This is your best route to be able to battle this, to overcome this, and what we do, you know, to to hopefully get better. How do you guys? How did you guys get to meet one another? I've always, often wondered that. Zach Bagans, Aaron Goodwin, Bill, uh, Billy Tolley, Jay Wosley. How did you guys? How do you guys come across? How do you even get involved in a, at a ghost adventures type of business? And, and Dave, I'd like to hear your take on it too. So I know uh, so way back. Uh, I know um, not to speak too much for the other guys, but I know they made a documentary way back. Uh, they met in Vegas and went out to a lot of the around Vegas and made a documentary that got very popular and got attention and then ultimately developed into the original show. Um, and I think Billy came around. He was into the paranormal. He saw the show and was interested. And I think he, from what you remember him telling me the story, he reached out to Zach through MySpace way back then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, MySpace. <laughs> like what you guys are doing. And it was still very early. Uh, and then Zach sent, was like, oh, you should go check out, uh, I think it was the Wash, was it the Washoe Club, maybe? Zach's like, oh, I told Billy to go check that out. And Billy went out, you know, pretty much one of his, like, you know, big investigation and got some crazy evidence, and it just opened up his mind to, you know, the paranormal and really got into it from there. Uh, with me, I was working in television and film as a camera guy, as a sound guy, and uh I literally got a phone call one day uh, saying, hey, could you fly out to Vegas to do sound on this TV show? It's called Ghost Adventures. But first for me, it was just a gig. Um, And I flew out and we hit it off. It was great. Um, 
still at the moment, I was like, okay, it's just a, just another gig. And then it brought me back and back. And, you know, it's such a small crew and being on the road after a while, we became good friends. And then one day uh, we were driving to a shoot and Zach was showing me some evidence they got. And I was like, oh, I was starting telling like, oh, you could do an analysis by doing this. You can analyze the wave the spectrum and things like that. And he's like, oh, well, why don't you do that? And then he started bringing me in on camera a little bit and a little bit to do kind of more experiments and more technical things. Uh, and it just started evolving from there and kept going and going uh, to where it is today. That's amazing. Dave, how about you? Well, you know, we were doing Darkness Radio and uh, Aaron Goodwin had reached out to me from Ghost oh, Adventures okay. when the first documentary was going to be played on the Sci-Fi Channel. And he said, uh, you know, he's like, hey, man, I listen to your show. You know, we got a doc. Can we talk about it? So we actually had the guys back on when they were like 13 years old, uh, <laughs> way back when. And it was great to have them on. And we just stayed friends throughout. Um, and, and we were big supporters of their work and, and the adventures they were doing. And when they got picked up at, uh, at Travel Channel, they're now, I think they're the longest running paranormal series, period, uh, which is amazing to watch this evolution and the change of, of crew members and the addition of people to this. And, you know, having been there to watch all of this happen, it's been it's been really fun to, you know, to see this play out. And uh, like I said, I love the fact that they mix in so many different things. And, and in all honesty, Tom, people always ask Dave, you you go do these shows. Come on, is there any fake? Is there any trickery? And I've oh. I've always told people everything you see on the episode is exactly as we experienced it in real life. I've never, and that was when I went to do my first episode with Ghost Adventures at Rolling Hills. My fear was, please don't let these guys be goofballs. Let this be a real thing. And and when we watched the episode, everything was exactly as we saw it in real time. And I think I've been on eight episodes plus their two live episodes. And I can walk away confidently saying that they've always played it out exactly as it takes place. And I'm really proud of them too, because I was a part of an episode called the demon house in Seattle. I think it was, or demons in Seattle. And yeah, we got nothing, nothing. This guy was making all of these insane claims and uh, something was painting 666 on his wall and uh, Native American symbols. And when we got there, we all kind of had a laugh because it was sponge painted. And I thought, this is an amazing interior decorating ghost. <laughs> um, and he claimed there was no black paint in the house anywhere. And then uh, on, you know, we had our little base camp set in the garage. And I think, Jay, you're the one that said, hey, Dave, and you nudged me and pointed. And there's a bucket of black paint right in front of us. So we, we did the whole there. episode with nothing, no evidence, and they played it. And I thought that is so phenomenal that they could stand behind this and go, look, some claims don't live up. Does it mean that there was nothing there? No. Maybe those things stood back and and allowed us to just be there so they could continue to manipulate the family. Or maybe somebody was trying to create a new Amityville horror and hoping to get that kind of attention. Yeah. yeah. So. That That's got to be sense. tough, too, right, Jay? When you're out there, you know, you got to go into these locations and and be open-minded about it, but you also have to be very skeptical in the sense that is somebody trying to play you guys? Is somebody trying to trick you into thinking it's haunted? Yeah, I think besides just being uh, paranormal investigators, we're kind of like regular investigators, detectives. We also have to, like, kind of look into the people that are involved and, you know, they're, you know, we're going off their claims and things and, you know, they're amazing stories and it gets us pumped up and it's excited to experience it, but we need to experience it. We need to document it. We need to capture this. So yeah, it's definitely, uh, 
it's a full round investigation. You can't just go in and just believe everything you hear and just say, oh, okay, sure. You know, we got to experience it and we're there to document it. That is cool. And by the way, I just got a text message, Dave. They weren't asking him the fakeness, the trickery, and the deception. They were talking about you being in radio, not the other. Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting for somebody to pull that plug on this fraud imposter for 16 years. <laughs> or all of radio in and of itself. I mean, we can just yeah. do that. I, you know, you guys, both of you, I'm talking to, talking to Jay and I'm talking to Dave here. Do you feel, I mean, I don't want to make this a religious thing, and that's not what I'm trying to do, but did you kind of, in a way, get a calling in somehow to do this? I mean, were you, you were drawn to it, obviously, but, you know, they talk about people get a calling in life, and I, I kind of always knew from the time I was 14, 15 years old that I was going to get into radio and announcing and doing that. Did you experience something like that? You just knew it was what you were supposed to be doing? Uh, I always felt like I did. Uh, even as a kid, I was really into yeah. the paranormal. I was kind of uh, I was playing Ouija boards probably since fifth grade. Uh, I was just very open to it. I was also like I got really big into studying different philosophies, different religions. I was never brought up any specific religion, um, so I kind of had free reign to just learn and explore. And this was before Google, and so I had I would read and have books, and I was probably like got some weird looks going to the bookstores and the library so I was always checking out the really weird ones and the mystical ones and things like that I just thought it was fascinating and then you know you kind of become an adult you live you have to pay the bills and you know you kind of lose that connection we have with the paranormal for a while and then when I got brought on to the show and got more involved with it it was just such a natural it kind of came back and was like yeah this is where I'm supposed to be um, you know, the four of us, we've talked about, you know, the evolution of the show and how we've all come to, to be and how we right. come from different places, different ideas. And we all come together and kind of like magic happens when we're all together. And I, you know, I do feel that there is some grand scheme or some bigger picture that kind of has brought us together. Dave, what was your take on it? Like you, I was a kid who wanted to do radio, and uh, I loved the paranormal because it was around me my whole life. And when I got okay. the opportunity 16 years ago to do a radio show, and I was told, hey, we have a one-hour spot to fill. What do you want to talk about? I said, let's let's do the paranormal, and I kind of got to marry both of those things together. And, oh, okay. You know, yeah, so it's always it's always been a part of it. But, you know, I mean, the one thing people should realize, and I think Jay can speak to this as well, is, though, that as interesting and fascinating as this is, that you have to be cautious. This isn't something you should just do as a, a hobby. Really, you have to, you, you kind of do have to have a calling to this because you do suffer loss doing this and, and you suffer issues with people and the way they perceive you and treat you. And, you know, you know, there's some, of course, grandeur to being on TV and doing the, the paranormal investigating, but there's a lot of downside. And if you don't take care of yourself and take care of your life, Things can, you know, the, the paranormal can have a, uh, a negative effect. And, Jay, you, I think you've seen that in just about everybody you and I have ever worked with, that it's had that moment where oh. it's really taken its toll on people. Absolutely. I mean, you know, from the extreme of, you know, we've lost friends to it. We've, you know, I lost a marriage to it. Uh, you know, we all, you know, it's not just people think it's, oh, it's just a TV show, we show up, we film, we go home. It's like, no, this is actually our lives. You know, it does affect us on such a bigger scale. Um, you know, and even to the smallest point of going home and 
having nightmares, not being able to sleep, just being in a bad mood, things like that. Like just when you do this, it does affect you. And I think over the years, thankfully, I've been able to develop kind of my own method and my own system to be able to keep grounded and keep level headed. Um, you know, but it took a lot of experimentation. It took a lot of figuring out how to do that. And unfortunately there's been, there has been dark times through it. And a lot of people, you know, younger people come up and be like, Oh, I want to get in the paranormal. I want to get into ghost hunting. And I tell them, I was like, honestly, I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, like right. at this yeah. point, like I do love rush. Like I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Um, I kind of, I kind of use the analogy of like, I can never jump out of a plane. Like skydiving to me is just mm-hmm. a, a big, absolutely not. But I get it. I understand the rush. I understand the drive that people have that want to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And it's the same thing with investigating. You know, it's, it's terrifying. There's points where it's like, Oh, can I keep doing this? Do I want to keep doing this? But then it's like, yes, I need to. I want this. You know, I, I want that, that adrenaline rush, that drive. And on top of that, I want to know. And I think it is a question that every single human being, whether they want to admit it or not, whether they're too closed off and don't want to talk about it, but every single person on this planet wants to know what happens when we die. And to be able to explore that and dive as deeply as we can into it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a dream. It's amazing. I I'm absolutely love it. We will take a very quick break. Jay, uh, do you have another 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, sure. Wonderful. We'll be right back. Jay Wosley with us, Dave Schrader with us, Sandy. Catherine's here. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Dan Chesky's here from Dan's Southside Marine. It won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water. Warmer temps and open water are coming soon, Tom. We have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a boat you're looking for this year, Dan? My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dance Outside Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit. Ask for details when you visit the store. Alumacraft Fishing Boats, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou Pontoons, all powered by Suzuki Outboards, are in stock now with new boats arriving daily. Dan Southside Marine is located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington or shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Tom here, and I'm talking with Brad Huckle and Mike Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked before about how working with a community bank like North American Banking Company can benefit business owners. Do you have an example you could share with our listeners? Our customers at Home Insulation and Blaine have been banking with a big bank for many years, but suddenly their calls weren't getting returned and their banker was unresponsive to their business needs. You can imagine their frustration. They had a successful business, wanted to expand, and their bank cut them off. They were ready to move on from their big bank. When they referred to us, we knew they wanted to work with a community bank that would be responsive and would take the time to understand their business and its needs. That sounds like a perfect fit. I know it can always reach out and not only talk to an actual person, but I'm talking to an experienced lender. They've told us the same thing, Tommy. Look, I know Brad and Mike, and I trust them with my banking. My whole family does. So why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. 
You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. I just wanted to uh, tell a quick story. I was hoping Catherine would be in here, but she, she left the studio for a second. So uh, many, many years ago, and I'm talking about decades ago, <clears throat> I worked at Capitol Records with a guy named Vito. Vito was the branch manager, and uh, it became a good friend. Oh, good. Catherine came back in time. I'm telling a story about when we went to the haunted house with Vito and his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so we talk about the emotion of it all. You guys are in a different area of this, but it's kind of the way this whole thing affects the average person, is what I'm, why I'm telling this story very quickly. So Catherine and I, Vito and his girlfriend, go to a haunted house because it's Halloween. Uh, I grew up Roman Catholic, and Roman Catholics tend to believe in you know life after death. There's no question about that. Uh, we believe in spirits, I mean, that kind of thing. So it wasn't like, you know, starting off cold. So Vito and his girlfriend, Catherine, and I go to the haunted house. Vito was about six feet tall, probably weighed about 200 pounds. Was not a small guy, right? And we're walking through the haunted house. Oh, by the way, just a quick aside. Do you guys go to haunted houses at Halloween, or do you avoid them? Yeah, I do. I love them. Yeah, Jay, I you ever go? I definitely check them out. I love them. So oh, yeah, we're going through... They are. We're going through the haunted house, and it's dark, and it's spooky, and they got the ooh that in the background, all the rest <laughs> of it, right? Well, out of the... Now, you have to remember, back in those days, the ghost could actually touch you, which they are not allowed to do anymore. Yeah. Right. The fake ghost cannot touch you anymore. They, back in those days, they could. And we're walking along, and Vito's like, oh, I don't know, this isn't all that scary. It's not that big. Usually when people are going, oh, this is not that scary, it means they're scared and they're trying to cover it up. You know yeah, what I mean? right. <laughs> so we're walking along, and all of a sudden, this monster, ghost, whatever it was, jumps out at Vito. And I mean jumps right into his face, right? I end up, he jumped into my arms like a child. I'm carrying this 200-pound, six-foot-tall guy around the haunted house because he was so terrified of this spirit that jumped out at him. So he's the only reason I bring that up is, first of all, it was fun, and it was funny, and we had a good time. But, But Jay and Dave, people actually, whether they want to admit it or not, most people have a belief in this kind of thing, do they not? Even if they say they don't. What do you think? Uh, I think I think they do. I think it's I think it's in our DNA on some level, you know. There's uh, you know, it's such a archaic thing. You go back in human history and you know, a lot of myths, a lot of things come from the unknown, you know. You know, back in the day, I think people were more in tune with the spirit world. We didn't have TVs. We didn't have phones. Right. You know, it, literally, you're in tune with the earth. You're there. You might have fire as your your television. You know, so they're they're much more aware of their feelings and emotions and the energy that surrounded them. So I think it is in our DNA. I think a lot of people get distracted and they lose it in modern society. Um, but I think it is. Mm-hmm. It, we all have that. You know, even on some level an ability you know i think psychics things like that not to go on that route but 
you know, I think those people that are really good and do that stuff, I think they're tapping into something that we do all have, but we kind of have lost that through our modern day technology yeah. and way of life. Is Alex in studio? I'm here. I thought I heard you. I thought I heard you. I thought I heard you. The reason I bring out, uh, bring Alex into it because Alex and I are the only two in the family. Andy and Catherine will not watch scary movies, but Alex and I enjoy them immensely. And you kind of wonder in the same family how half the people love it and the other half the people can't stand it. You know, uh, it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Alex, you must have some questions because you have you love this stuff. I don't really have any questions. I just like hearing about it. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's like my daughter. She's. Five. She'll be six. It's not a question, though. It's a comment. (laughs) Okay, daughter. Be very clear about that. Okay. Um, My daughter's five years old. She'll be six in May, and she loves like spooky stuff. She's Mm. like always try like if she can ever pick a show, it's always something spooky, and she likes hearing spooky stories. And I was like that when I was a kid. For and yeah, it's interesting how some people just have an automatic interest in it like but i will say she tr- she watched beetlejuice on an airplane a couple months ago and i was like what is beetlejuice rated because i haven't seen it in so long it's pg the movie but yes wow because she was like i want to watch beetlejuice and i was like oh yeah, yeah no, i like, would not have suggested that but i was like oh what's it rated pg mm. 90s pg is yeah, real different, different than pg now he <laughs> dropped an yeah. f he dropped an f bomb yeah. they yeah. talked about oh. suicide he grabs his crotch mm-hmm. i was like because she i wasn't listening to it because i was reading a book and she had her headphones on because we were on an airplane and she was talking like and she's like oh listen to this part and it was the part where they sing um Deo. Deo, yes. Yeah. But right before that, yeah, he swears, he grabs his crotch, they talk about suicide. I'm like, in the five minutes that I have been listening to this, it's, this has happened, and this now would have would be a PG-13 movie. Yeah. For sure. And I was like, oh, okay, so glad that you're watching this. But I well, let's not just... forget that uh, he's trying to marry a 14-year-old girl, too. So yeah, there's, you know, there's that little twist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? I know. See, <laughs> I just oh, didn't, I just didn't, yeah, think about it. That I don't know, but yeah, now she goes around the house saying if she says something three times, it has to happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. she's like, Dad, it's- if I say, um, they play this game called Ogre Cage, and she's like, if I say Ogre Cage, Ogre Cage, Ogre Cage, we have to play Ogre Cage. <laughs> I'm like, that's just how things work now that she's seen Beetlejuice. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work every time I say yeah. Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. No, no Bloody Mary shows up for me to drink. Yeah, I wish you could. Just... She's going to be disappointed. Yeah, but Jay, you've got with with Ghost Adventures is relaunching tomorrow, so the beginning of the 25th season on Discovery Plus. Is it also going to be airing? Do we know on Travel Channel as well? I'm not sure the exact how they're working that. I know all new episodes drop in Discovery Plus, and then at some point, I know they still do the reruns on travel, so I'm not sure the time frame or if it's a month or a couple months or a year. I'm not sure the time frame, but I'm sure at some point they will be on travel as reruns. And what's cool is if, you, if you're out there and you're, you know, you're piecemealing your streaming services together, try the seven-day free trial of Discovery Plus. Uh, you, it's not just Travel Channel. You get like 25 different channels. Right, right. And you'll find that most of what you watch, everything from home improvement to true crime to paranormal and, and travel, all of these great shows are part of this giant corporate umbrella. And you get, you get it for five bucks a month or seven bucks commercial free. 
and you can watch all of your favorite programs, including Ghost Adventures, The Holzer Files, and, you know, Ghost Adventures, uh, Screaming Room and Aftershock and all the other great programs that they've been uh, doing for years and Holzer Files. So you could just check those out for yourself on uh, on Discovery Plus. But if you're if you're on the fence about signing up for it, try the seven day trial. I think you guys are going to love it. At least try it, power through your favorite shows, and then uh, let it go. But uh, I think once people sign up for it, everybody I've ever talked to that signed up realized how much entertainment value they get for five or seven bucks have stuck right. with it. So it's been a good deal. And I think what's really cool about Every Plus, too, is that it's all right there. You know, you don't have to wait until, like with Travel Channel, it's like, all right, you got to right. wait until it's on air. You know what I mean? Right. Or sometimes right. you can go in and do things on demand. They have the entire catalog. So you can literally at any moment, oh, I, I, oh, you're thinking about an episode. You can literally be like, I want to watch that specific episode from eight years ago right now. And you can go on there and you can pick it right away. And like you said, it's not that expensive. I think if you cut back literally one large cup of coffee from Starbucks a month, you can cover the cost. Yeah, I've been telling people that are complaining, well, I already pay for cable. I say, call your cable company. Tell them you're looking to drop because the prices are too high and watch how they'll end up giving you more for less. They'll yeah. say, you know what, yep. let me read. Oh, you know what, actually I can give you a, the same package you've got for $30 less a month. Now you can oh. take that five or seven bucks and reinvest it into uh, Discovery Plus. But that happens yeah. all the time. So challenge your, your providers and see if you can get a, a deal on it and uh, check out the shows that way. Um, so how many episodes are in this new season, Jay? Uh, I think this batch, I think there's eight total. It takes us all through March and then all the way through the end of April. And, uh, and that's thing, we have a lot more coming. You know, a lot of people, they just they want more episodes, but we can only film and do so many at so much, and we are going nonstop. Uh, we have a lot of things coming up that uh, I can't talk about just yet. We haven't announced, but we have a lot of exciting things in the works um, and a lot more coming. So this batch of data was a great batch. Um, we do some really cool locations and amazing uh, experiments. The evidence, once again, it's one of those moments where, you know, you know, I'm sure you have moments like this too, Dave, where it's like, all right, I've seen a lot. I've seen things move. I've been scratched. I've heard EVPs. I've seen apparitions. You know, what else could possibly happen? And then something just blows your mind once again. And there's definitely a lot of those moments here. Um, one particular place we ended up doing was called, uh, it was in L.A., uh, Los Angeles, a police museum. And this place, just it's, it's amazing. Like, it's when you think of, like, oh, this is just a museum for the police. But it's full of artifacts from serial killers and murderers, things like that. And that place was just dark. And when you watch that episode, there's a moment that happens with Aaron and I that literally just, it, it's still, like, I... I don't know. I, I always say to myself, like, oh, I can't wait to see it, but I kind of don't even want to watch it because it was so terrifying. It's almost like watching some really messed up home videos uh, and kind of reliving those experiences, but it was absolutely terrifying. Okay, Jay, I get the message. I won't show you my Christmas videos anytime we're together again. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you have it. I, I have a question for, for both of you and, well, everybody, actually. Because there are people who deny that it uh, it really does exist. Other people, like I said, I grew up Catholic, so you kind of believe that the soul carried on. Not kind of, you definitely believe the soul would carry on. Now there is, I always got the impression, and I mean this in a positive way, that this was all very necessary because the human brain tends to be a little delicate. I mean, my own 
my own life, I would tell you, I would love to someday see my mother and my brother again. I would love to do that. Is that all part of this, the, the fact that we don't want to lose? If we really only have 75, 80, 90 years, whatever it is, that seems awfully short in a, a planet that's been around for billions of years. Uh, you know, it, it just it doesn't seem fair. So is this, I think in my mind anyway, all of this, whether it's ghost adventures or any kind of spirituality, I think it's actually very necessary because it does give us some solace, some relief, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think, you know, it can deliver a sense of hope that there is yep. something more to this. And I think we, we all want, we want it to be more than this. We don't want to just, we die and that's lights out and that's it. You know, we all hope there's some kind of thing, especially for our loved ones. And, you know, and we've had experiences. I remember there was a house we did, I think it was in Texas and it was a woman who lost her mother and we were doing the spirit box session. And it's, I forget what it was, but it was like a really random word came through the spirit box and she just started crying. Like, oh, and she's like, yeah. Oh my God. She's like, that was my mother and I's, like, faith word. Like, we always said, like, oh, I'll give you, I'll say this word as, like, a sign that it's me. And she passed away, and with us there, through the spirit box, this word came through. You know, and seeing that, it was it was saddening, but it was also beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, wow, like, it was able to connect this mother and, you know, her daughter, you know, and kind of give them a moment to bring back and it's just it's a beautiful thing and i think it gives people that closure maybe or a sense of hope that their loved ones are okay and you know and i think it's something we all we all want we all try to explore and hopefully can figure it out and you never know how those signs are going to come through either you know i i have when my mom passed away i got a crucifix that has her ashes in it and i wear it and my mom loved to travel with me to go to all the ghost adventures uh um, events that I would hold and, and go to all these haunted locations and hang out with everybody. And when she passed away, I take the cross with me on all my trips, on all of my ghost hunts and all the TV episodes. So she's still a part of it. And we were on the, uh, I was asked to be on the Walker Stalker cruise, the Walking Dead fan cruise with oh, all of the sure. celebrities. And they asked me to come on and do ghost stories and, and tell some fun stories. So I did. We got back home and I realized it was gone. My necklace was gone. Um, and what? I thought, damn, it oh. fell off somewhere in the ocean or fell off somewhere on the ship. It's, it's gone. And I was really bummed. And, and I don't know, a couple of weeks later, I'm sitting there at my computer and I pulled up my mom's Facebook page and I hit private message and I messaged her and I just said, mom, I don't want to bother you. I know you're on to your next level, but if there's any way you could just give me any kind of sign, anything would be great. I love you and I miss you and sent it. The next day, our son Max's glasses were missing. So I sent my kids out. I'm like, listen, $5 reward, whoever finds Max's glasses. And uh, my kids scatter through the house. And my uh, my other son, Damien, comes up to me. And he's got this. We have these little clay Egyptian jars like they would use in, in um, mummification. They would put the heart in one and, sure. and different yeah. body parts in the other. And he brought the little jar of life, which is very small and obviously way too small for a pair of glasses. But God love him. He opened it up to look anyway. And he goes, Daddy, look what I found. And he took the lid off. And there inside the jar of life was the crucifix. No necklace, just the crucifix. Within a day of asking my mom for a sign that that she's still around, that you know that that there's still this connection. How it got in a jar in my living room that I'd never touch because it's just part of our decor. 
and the chain is gone, but the, the, the necklaces there is still beyond me. So there are these beautiful moments in the paranormal, and you're right, Tom, it is necessary because people yeah, want to know is. that there's something more than a world filled with pandemics and war and racism and hatred and that may, maybe there's something else. Maybe we do transcend this form sure. and we get to see and do other things. And, and, we, and that's what's great about shows like Ghost Adventures because they get to take you out safely. You don't have to be in those environments. You can see the stories and history unfold and be vicariously living through Jay and, and Billy and Aaron and Zach as they go do all of these adventures and give you a chance to, you know, uh, to watch along with it and, and get some of those answers for yourself. And when you see the people and these families affected by those moments, you know, it brings it all together. See, I never realized this was a sign, but I, you know, I never got along with my father. Um, I could make him laugh once in a while. That was about it. And he died when I was 33, he was only 62. And so I asked the same thing for a sign that, you know, that he could still communicate. And I got it the next day. Uh, A letter arrived, and it was the bill for his funeral. So I took it as a sign, Dave. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Here's your sign. Yeah, I'm still sticking it to you, Tom. What do you think of that? (laughs) From beyond, he still got me for about 2000 bucks. So what the hell? It's all in the way you look at it, Tom. It's all in the way you perceive the message. (laughs) Have you guys ever discussed this before? Because I hope you have. I think it's really important that when you're talking about ghost adventures, you know, Dave Schrader, your your long career, I think it's important for people to understand this is in place for, for one of two reasons, probably both, because it really does happen. And number two is because people need it to happen. We don't want to go through life thinking, when I die, I die, that's it. If you want to believe that, that's up to you. That's your business. But as I said, I'd like to see some people I haven't seen in many, many years because they're dying. I think it, it's good for our soul, it's good for our heart, and it's good for our brain to have some belief that maybe this is not all there is. I think it's good for us. Do you agree? Yeah, I think 100%. I mean... You know, I hear from fans all the time that thank us because, you know, yeah. it gives them the hope, it gives them the sense. And two, I mean, before before paranormal TV existed, people didn't talk about this. And people still had experiences, but they felt they were crazy. They felt they were the only one. They, you yeah. know, they would have experienced these spirits and they there wasn't a dialogue yet. You know, it was a very niche group of people that were pursuing it and talking about it. But mainstream, you would be you would be laughed at. You would be called crazy. You'd probably be locked up in an asylum in some years, you know, depending on when you would experience this. But like having our show and you know the start of paranormal TV and everything, it kind of brought this dialogue to the mainstream. It allowed people to come out and be like, "Wow, I can actually share my story now. I can share my experiences. I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one." Right. And I think that's the beautiful thing and that's why we need to have this conversation we need to have this dialogue we need to explore these things well and i think obviously just the the amount of plays movies books stories tv shows all the rest of it there are not just four or five people out there that want to, to look at this and want to study it and want to learn about it there are millions and millions and millions of people who need this that's why I think Ghost Adventures uh, exists. Dave, you're pretty much turned into your life, life's work. It's there for a reason. It's, again, I'll say it for the fifth time. It's because people need it. I, I think it's a great thing. I really do. 
Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, I don't always, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier. I don't necessarily tell everybody to go out and seek it because it can get very dangerous. It can, you know, run a toll on your life, but be open to it. You know, I think it's good to be open about anything. I think just, I think our society, you know, not to get too deep with it, but like we're becoming, you know, it's weird, like technology. We live on phones. We live on the internet now. You know, and we think that we're communicating faster. We think we're getting information quicker. But honestly, I think it's pushing us away from each other, and we're losing that mm-hmm. human connection. We're using, losing that human element, that spiritual connection, that emotional connection. You know, and I think we need to hold on to that. We need to somehow preserve that part of humanity before it's gone. It's true. Dave and Jay, I will get out of the way. There's only a couple minutes left, so I just want want you guys to close it out because I love the conversation. Well, it's great. And and again, Ghost Adventures begins their 25th season tomorrow on Discovery Plus. Eight brand new episodes, eight new adventures to follow. Jay Wosley, um, Aaron Goodwin, Zach Baggins, of course, and Billy Tolley as they go back out into the world and continue to uncover these mysteries and stories. And it's great, isn't it, Jay, that you realize that in some cases you're giving voices to history that have been forgotten and you're getting a chance to mm-hmm. help them be remembered and, and uh, you know, kind of a chance for these spirits to shine one last time. Yeah, absolutely. I always, you know... There was a moment where, you know, I've always wanted to make kind of like, I don't know, I'm a person that wants to make a difference in the world. And, and I had a moment once kind of earlier on where I was like, ah, oh, like, is this what I want to do in my life? Like, do I want to do this? Should I like go, you know, feed homeless people? Should I do something with a bigger impact? And you know, I don't know, arguably maybe, I don't know. But I realized and started talking to fans and hearing from fans of the impact that we do have. And that made me realize like what we are doing is something very special and somehow, you know, I don't still don't understand exactly why, but the four of us, when we get together, it's magical, and we experience and document some amazing things that I hope keeps the dialogue going and keeps the conversation going about what actually happens after we die. It is terrific, and we got to have you guys both on at the same time again. Jay, seriously, I'm, I'm very, very happy you, you could spend the entire hour with us there. Uh, yeah, this know, was great. It, it was terrific. Jay Wasley, ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Adventures tomorrow night. Do you know the uh, the time? The uh, sent- what what time it starts? I don't see sure. it on here. It's now, so it's not like an exact time. I don't know, but I think most streaming, don't quote me exactly, but I think most streaming usually drops at midnight Pacific time. Right. So that would right. be, I guess, 3 a.m. Eastern usually. It's available on uh, the streaming service. Okay, so at any time after 3 o'clock tomorrow morning, it should be available, Correct. Should be. Don't quote me. Don't don't beat me and yell at me. Close enough. And if it's not, folks, you can head over to Jay's house and knock on his door at one two five seven. Damn it, Jay. Thank you, sir. Minnesota. My mailbox says Schrader. Uh, That's right. Yeah. There you go. All right, gentlemen. We got to move on for the hour. But uh, Jay, thank you very much. Uh, Hopefully, we'll talk again very soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. Take care. We'll take a break. Be back in a few minutes with the family. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. 
April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the Walzer world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finish number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J-Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the motor sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Hey, this is Brian Zepp. Summer is finally here, and if you're like me, you've got some serious riding planned. Make sure you and your motorcycle are good to go with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at Dennis Kirk. 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Follow Zepp's lead and head to DennisKirk.com. They ship today. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Alex, just let me know when Mr. Prado's ready to he go. Is, he's on. He's, he's on. Ready, Marvelous. The book, Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior, a memoir by the highest-ranking covert warrior to lift the veil of secrecy and offer a glimpse into the shadow wars that America has fought since the Vietnam era. And Enrique Rick Prado. How you doing, Rick? You damn right. Thank you for me. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Could we get uh, turn him up just yeah, a little bit? Turn him up. Yeah. Thank you, my dear. How's that? That's my daughter. I'm calling my dear, by the way, Rick. I want to make okay. sure you understood that. <laughs> it's a family deal. My I wife. My daughter, dear, too. So, yeah. yeah, there you go. Our son, my wife, our son, our daughter, and I do the show together. Love doing it. That's why it's called the Family Podcast. I cannot wait to just sit back and listen to what you have to say. My God, it's just. I don't know if you remember Vince Flynn, the author. He wrote to God about. 12, 10, 12, 15 bestsellers. Vince was a very, very good friend. Unfortunately, lost him at a very young age. And he's the one that got me all worked up about black ops. It's his fault, Rick. I just want to tell you. Well, you know, I, I actually got to meet him. Um, he was very close to a friend of mine uh, uh, from the agency who actually helped him along with, with his books. And yeah. uh, 
We had lunch together at Blackwater some years ago, and yes, I know that he uh, passed away a few years back. Uh, hell of a nice guy. I really had a pleasure of meeting you and meeting him, and I had read several of his books. Yeah, great guy. Really, really nice man. Although, uh, one thing before I move on, Rick, I will tell you, he always put his friends' names in his books. And when he got around to my, my, my full name is Tom Barnard, and we have a friend, a, a pair of friends named Tino and Michelle Lettieri. They're very close friends. So when I got to appear in one of his books, my name was Michelle Bernard. Not Michelle as in Michael, but Michelle as <laughs> a, he, he, he made me a woman in his book. What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. It's a compliment. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I I enjoyed his uh, books, even though that they were fiction. fiction. Yeah. Yep. And the one thing that I can uh, guarantee you that uh, what you will read in Black Ops will be real CIA operations done by real CIA operatives. You know, the impetus for me writing the book was how my, my agency is maligned. We're always described as immoral, treacherous, maniacal assassins like Jason what? Bourne was. 15 personalities, uh, and, and nothing could be further from the truth. Right. You know, the, my, my agency colleagues have put their lives on the line for a very ungrateful mistress that you cannot even advertise your successes. So we have 137 stars on the CIA wall of people who had given their lives up for God and country. And to, to, to honor them in their, in their just, you know, recognition is what... I, I try to do with this book, so it, it is, and I so people can see the different operations that I did and some of my colleagues did, and how we really work. Very exciting. There's gunplay. There's accidents. There's you know rescues in in, in, in uh, enemy's waters. All that stuff is in there. Uh, and by the way, my book is fully cleared by the CIA. It took them six months of uh, scrutiny, and and uh, I am pleasantly surprised about what they allowed me to talk about. And I think that. Part of that was because they understood my purpose for writing the book. Oh, I understand it completely. I, I have to read this one paragraph to the listeners, Rick, because it's it's pretty amazing. Enrique Prado found himself in his first firefight at age seven. The son of a middle-class Cuban family caught in the midst of the Castro Revolution. His family fled their war-torn home for the hope of a better life in America. Fifty years later, the Cuban refugee retired from the Central Intelligence Agency as the CIA equivalent of a two-star general. Black Ops is the story of Rick's legendary career that spanned two eras, the Cold War and the Age of Terrorism. Operating in the shadows, Rick and his fellow CIA officers fought a little seen and virtually unknown war to keep USA safe from those who would do it harm. I will tell you, uh, Mr. Prado, uh, Catherine and I went to Cuba, what was that, about four years ago, Catherine? Yep. Went to Cuba four years ago, could not have been a better time. The people could not have been friendlier. Very, very nice. They like to eat chicken. I did notice that, Rick. They like they eat a lot of chicken it's in Cuba. It's one of the only proteins they get. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is exactly, you're exactly right. That is exactly right. Yeah. But we loved yeah. it. We yeah, absolutely they, they, loved they, it. They, we, the Cuban people have a, uh, a very uh, good attitude in spite of the misery mm-hmm. that they live in. You know, um, yes, I was seven years old when the revolution first hit my town. And my, ta- my town was hit three times because we were at the foothills of uh, the uh, mountains where Che Guevara was in. Mm. And, you know, seeing what they did to my parents, what they did to, uh, to the opposition of uh, people hanging from trees, yeah. um, it, it, was, it was something that, 
Uh, that that was the seed planted for me to fight terror, uh, uh, communism uh, in five different incarnations. So, you know, I can ask you, Mr. Prado, a question because we're talking about uh, Cuba now. Um, we're looking a lot uh, very closely at Russia. And yet you have all these Americans, uh, mostly college students, that think communism is just a wonderful thing. Why don't they pay attention and realize communism just does not work for the people? That is one of my greatest pet peeves. And, and, and I always tell people that socialism is the mask that communism wears to yep. lure you into their trap. <laughs> it's and, the, true. and the promise is the promise of everybody will be equal. And they're, they're right. Everybody is equally miserable, equally oppressed, equally abused, yep. and only the leaders get to have, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the benefits. There, there's, a, there's a joke in Cuba that if you see a house with a fresh coat of paint, that's a senior party member. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got that right. There's no paint on most of the buildings. People need to understand that. Unfortunately, the architecture is absolutely beautiful, but it's not being taken care of at all. No, there's no Home Depots down there. <laughs> That's true. There's no Home Depot. No. That's kind of sad, though, because the architecture, Rick, is gorgeous, uh, but they they just they don't care. As I recall, I, it's funny, I remember a lot of it. Yes, yes, yes. So is that what drove you just watching? As, I mean, so, the, 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 go ahead, sir. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that it was, uh, you know, seeing what I saw as a, uh, in my early age, you know, the, the violence of war, um, the excitement of, of seeing things as a little kid to you as a TV show, you know. Right. Um, but then, you know, coming to this country, uh, I came to the United States by myself because my parents at first could not get out, and I ended up oh. in an orphanage in Pueblo, Colorado. I turned 11. In the orphanage, you know, the orphanage uh, was very strict, and there was a lot of fighting, and there was a, a multitude of cultures in there, uh, um, and it was a pretty hard eight months, but I think I came out the better for it because I was very independent. I learned a, a lot of English for just eight months, and the, I think the combination of those two events uh, really steeled me, forged my mettle, for lack of a better word, prepare me for what my path was was to be and and and, and that I took on with with honor uh, I went into uh, Air Force pararescue uh, and when I was 20 years old uh, pararescue is one of the elite units in our special operations forces uh, community and I did a few years with them and uh, tried to get into the CIA once or twice and the second time they called me and as lucky as I'm always as um, have been, they called me because the Sandinista regime had turned communist, and Reagan had said, well, I want a covert action program. And so I was a native Spanish guy that could go to the camps oh. and not show, you know, no show at the American hand. I was there as a, as a Honduran major. And th that the, the incredible part about that experience was because I saw what that octopus that's called communism did to my first country and to my family. Mm -hmm. And now, at, at the age of 30, I, I am helping fight that that, 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 uh, that octopus. And as a matter of fact, there's three really sexy operations during that time where I was very <coughs> proud of the fact that some of the tentacles were cut, cut off. So, uh, and you know, the rewarding part of it, besides the successes, was the people. I would sit every night, grab a cup of coffee, and sit down with different countries. 
and men, men and women. There were they had women in the fighting also, and every time I would ask them, "Why are you here?" Tom, not once did anybody say, "Well, you know, I read Marx and Lenin, and I don't agree with that philosophy." No, <laughs> right. it was they raped my daughter, they beat up my priest, oh. they uh, forcibly conscripted my fifteen-year-old son. It was all personal, and it was all personal for me also, because I was too young to fight it the first time around, uh, and that was my first incarnation. I, like I said, I've done, I have had assignments for two years each time, five different times uh, going after after communism. You know, Rick, it's so amazing because if if people go down to Cuba and meet the Cuban people, they could not be friendlier. Yet there's a a certain understanding, you also don't want to cause much trouble in Cuba. They're very, very strong people, very loyal people. Uh, and again, they're incredibly friendly, but you got a tough side to you. Cubans have a tough side to you that I just really admire. Well, thank you. That's a compliment, hell of a compliment. Thank you, Tom. Well, it is true. I mean, it's just... Oh, one other thing I, I got to mention. I'm I, a, I, I unfortunately have that. You have what? I said, unfortunately, I, I I have never I haven't been back to Cuba, and definitely with my career, I, I certainly cannot go back because they know who I am, no. <laughs> especially now, and, yeah. um, and and they would def- definitely have vendettas to to settle. So um, as much as I would love to go back and see my first house and where my dad's horses were and and everything else, um, uh, it will have to wait a few years. I hope that there, there's a, a real change over there, not the cosmetic ones I've been having for sixty years. No, that would be nice. If you ever do get to go back, make sure you go to the Tropicana. You got to go to the Tropicana, Rick. I'm just telling you, it's well worth it. Well, here, here's here's one for you. They, they, one of the photographs in the book, it was my parents took me to the Tropicana for the last oh, night that I God. was in Cuba. Really? The next morning, I was put on a plane, and this, yeah, and there's a photo. It's me, uh, my parents, my aunt and uncle, and my cousin. And we're sitting there, and I'm the only idiot smiling. Everybody's got these somber faces, <laughs> and I'm I'm smiling. I just I still can't figure that one out. But yeah, I, I would love to go to, uh, to back to the Tropicana and reconcile enough in a, in a kid's mind, you know, uh, what is what is like now. Yeah. And uh, Rick, you've been carrying that with you now for for all these years, because seven year olds have have developed enough that they understand what's going on. You, as a seven year old, knew what was happening. You knew it was time to go. Yeah, you were youthful. You go to the Tropicana. You're having a great time, but but you still knew what was happening. And looking back on that, you've had well at least two lives at this point, and it made you a very tough guy, don't you think? I think it still did. I think that it gave me the ability to uh, to work under pressure, uh, and and but the, what it really gave me, Tom, that the thing that it gave me the most was purpose. Right. You know, in, in my business, if you don't have a purpose, you will not do well because you really, really have to believe that what you're doing is for God and country. Uh, what you know, what we put our families through, the the secrecy of our, you know be working in, in all these places. My wife didn't know what I was doing. She knew that I worked for the agency. She knew I was doing maybe terrorism or counterinsurgency or whatever it was. But the details of what I did day to day, especially night to night, because most of our work is done after after hours. Um, my wife my wife won't hear about what I did when she reads the book. Really? So she'll know for the first time? Yes, sir. And so will my kids. 
God, that's what an amazing story. The book, again, is called Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior, Rick Prado, P-R-A-D-O. The author is on with us. Uh, I have to read another segment. I tell you what, the descriptor that was sent along with your book is a terrific uh, descriptor. After duty stations in Central South America and the Philippines, Black Ops follows Rick into the highest echelons of the CIA's headquarters at Langley, Virginia. In the late 1995, in late 1995, he became deputy chief station and co-founding member of the Bin Laden task force. How was man, Rick? You got you got a lot of stuff under your belt, pal. Well, there, there, there's more even that, but you know that one. That I'm very proud of that. Um, I was a branch chief in our counterterrorism center, and um, the uh, the chief of operations called me in. He said, "Look, we, we're going to start a task force. We're going to call it a virtual station." So it's going to have a chief of station and a deputy chief of station. The deputy is going to be Mike Shorty, who was an analyst. He was not an ops guy. And I was the deputy chief of station. And I looked at, uh, at my, my then boss, Jeff. I said, uh, so, Jeff, who are we after? He goes, Osama bin Laden. And I go, who? And he goes, exactly. So uh, that was the seed. I mean, you figured it was, there was two operations officers. I had an Arabic-speaking uh officer uh, working with me who was super, super sharp. And then we had uh, uh, several analysts. We had about eight or nine analysts, uh, seven of which were women. Uh, they're very good at this targeting stuff and because they have the patience and they have the, the depth and the intellect, I guess. But um, that, those are the plank owners. And, you know, sadly, there's, there's, there's people from that era that are on that wall with 137 stars in my building. Uh, Jennifer Matthews, uh, who was killed in cost in, in uh, uh. Afghanistan? Um, was was a, was uh, she joined us very very early on, and you know we lost her out there. We we lost uh, a lot of people out of the 137 stars that we have on our wall. One third of them are post 9/11. A third of them are really. And we are a small. In- in- yes, a third of those 137 are post 9/11. How many do you know? Very few people know. And that's what I wanted to. I, I want their, their spirit to, to be honored by the people that benefit from it um, because they paid the ultimate price. They did indeed. How, you know, I don't even want to ask you how many times, but I got to believe that you have, you know, looked death in the face many, many times, whether it was sneaking up on you or it was right there in front of you. I mean, it's obviously quite a dangerous job. How, how do you handle the danger part of it? Well, and I would tell you, sometimes it's been going in towards the, the danger because that's that's pretty much what we have to do. Right, right. Uh, again, yes, the, the, you know, I, I think that we all wired a certain way, uh, and 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 God wanted us to do whatever it was He wired us for. And, and uh, but I honestly think that having a purpose—that's you know, for for me, having a purpose for going into harm's way—completely blocked. The, 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 uh, the guilt of, well, if I get killed, my kids are going to be... No, if I get killed, my, my kids would be proud of what I was trying to do because I was trying to do it for them and the rest of the kids in the United States. So, you know, and, and the beauty of the book, Tom, is, is that it's not just about me. I include a lot of stories from some of my colleagues, uh, two women in particular who I adore because they were just incredible in their own ways. Um, it is that I was surrounded by the most patriotic, professional, dedicated, selfless people that I've ever met in my life. And like I said, I was part of the special 
military for, for several years, and I still have great friends from there, but the quality of officers at the agency deserve a little better than being tagged Jason Boyd. Yeah, well, yeah, they're trying to sell tickets there, aren't they, Rick? That's all that's about exactly. is selling, selling those tickets. Um, I tell you, I just I have so many questions for you about all of these things. Uh, when, okay, so you're seven years old, then you're 11, you're in Colorado. At what point did you realize this It's not just something I'm interested in? It's not just something as a child I thought, well, that'd be kind of cool to, to go into the uh, to service and do this. When did you know this is me, this is what I got to do, and this is what I'm going to do? Well, you know, you, you hit it right on the nose, and I have the perfect uh, uh, episode for that. Um, I, growing up, because, again, I was adventuristic and a little uh, high-spirited and, you know, testosterone-laden sure. teenager, <laughs> yeah. um, I, got really good, I got good grades in school, but I was always getting into fights and stuff like that and, and getting in trouble because of it. And when I started college in Miami, so I think it was early... 71 or real late 70, um, the hippies were going to take down the American flag the next day. They posted it. Tomorrow we're going to take down the flag and we're uh, going to burn it. Okay. And I said, the hell we are. <laughs> so I called five of my homies from the old days, and it was 20, 20 hippies more or less, six of us. Trust me, it was not a fair fight for them. And um, within minutes, there were torn T-shirts and beads all over the place. But that American flag was waving in the air in a blue sky early in the year. It took my breath away because for the first time in my life, I was proud of using my courage and my fortitude and a little bit of my violence for the right reasons. It gave me purpose. Six months later, I was in pararescue. God, what is, that's a good, another great, Rick, this book has got to be fantastic. Your story's just on this show are right on the money. I, I just, so basically you're saying there was tie-dye and beads everywhere, huh? Yeah, there was a yeah, tie-dye t-shirts torn and beads <laughs> everywhere and uh, people running in different directions but not towards anymore. I, I, it still amazes me that <clears throat> and somebody who was born in Cuba leaves at seven, uh, you know, at, at a young age, you love the flag more than they do, and they have no right whatsoever to not like the flag. Will people ever figure that out, you think, Rick? They have no business turning on their own country. They don't even know what they're talking about. You're absolutely right, and I, and I have a theory about that. It is that they, we in the United States do not know how good we really have it. Right. We have nothing to compare it to. You, you know, the, the average American, when they say, oh, I've been to Mexico, I said, no, you've been to Cancun, the fruit, <laughs> and it's not right. Mexico. Right. You know, um, and, and so they, they have nothing to compare it with. The, the immigrants that come legally to this country, uh, especially those that are, that are fleeing communism and terrorism and those kind of isms, um, those, those people come here and all of a sudden they can breathe. Their children can go to school. Nobody's going to take away your business. Mm-hmm. Um, you're free to speak your mind, to practice your religion. And we take all that for granted, and it drives many of us insane because it's, it's, you see it day in and day out, people bad-mouthing this country without really knowing. You know, I don't have a problem. If you want to be a communist, that's fine. Go to Cuba. Go to Russia. If you're, if you're a communist in Russia, more power to you. Yep. But don't try to be a communist in the United States. 
Couldn't agree more. I got to take a quick break. About two minutes, Rick. You got another ten minutes, didn't you? Unfortunately, he has a hard out. Oh, you have okay. a hard Eleven fifty. Oh, eleven fifty. Okay, we'll go three more minutes then, Rick, because it, it, it says on my deal noon. But we'll, if you got to be up, I by just heard from Art. Okay, that that's fine, Rick. We can go three more minutes if you can. Would that be all right? I'm just having a great time talking to you because I, you and I, and so far, well, I shouldn't say you and I, I agree with you on pretty much everything you've said so far. Uh, I will tell you, Rick, very quickly, I grew up very, very poor in an inner city neighborhood, and I, I got out of there, got an education, uh, you know, started working hard. I've had a wonderful life, got a great family that I work with every day. I'm sorry, but America's wonderful to me. I love America. I don't want to live anywhere else. Why some people just and what I love are the people out that live out there in the rich suburbs that don't like America. It's like what? Oh, Art says you're good till noon now. Oh, could you, Rick? You can stay till noon. That'd be okay with you, Rick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no excellent. Problem. Let's take a very quick break. Then we'll be right back. Uh, got another ten minutes with Rick Prado. The book is called Black Ops: The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. Right back with Rick Prado right after this. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home. List it on the MLS and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. And we are back with Stretch's picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The Kitties, the Pack, the Bears, or the Purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. Tom here for Continuum Weight and Well-Being. If you were like me and constantly finding yourself in weight loss mode, I have great news. Continuum is here. It's new and they're doing it differently. There are no meal replacements or foods you're required to purchase. They specialize in customizing meal plans for you using all whole nutritious foods. They don't just focus on weight loss. They are upfront with their pricing. And most importantly, Continuum is designed for long-term success. Schedule a free consultation. Find out more today. Simply go to their website, Continuum Weight. 
weightwellbeing.com or call or text them at 952-491-6527 and catch the Continuum team on my podcast on Thursdays, 11.15 a.m. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing Life Beyond Weight Loss Mode. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Rick Prado, our very, very special guest. Great guest, as a matter of fact. Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. It's available on Amazon and everywhere, as a matter of fact. A memoir by the highest-ranking covert warrior to lift the veil of secrecy and offer a glimpse into the shadow wars that America has fought since the Vietnam era. Have we ever been out of war, Rick? Has it ever happened we've had nothing going on in the world? No, I mean, I think that uh, the, the moments of peace um, are, are more from the civilian's uh, view, um, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. Um, we right. in the agency and our special military and other intelligence agencies within our, our government, the, uh, the, the community, um, our fight is a daily fight. Um, you know, before, before the contrast stuff between Vietnam and the, the Sandinista revolution that we, that we toppled, because that was a very successful program, uh, lasted several years. But during that time, there was no declared war per se, but the Cold War was flaming hot, and we were working the Russians and working the Chinese and the Czechs and whatever was out there. So, you know, for, for the folks that are at the pointy end of taking care of the country, um, peace is when you go home to your family. Yeah. Uh, when you walk into your church and say prayer, um, because your your job is is to fight the good fight, uh, like Pablo Coelho, one of my favorite authors, um, fighting the good fight is what a warrior of the light does, and that's what I would like to consider ourselves. And that is again the reason that I that I wrote the book was to give credit to those that that, that deserve that. You know, another commonality when you when you were talking a little while ago, when you talking about how poor you grew, you you uh, grew up and, mm-hmm. and and how what you made of so, um, when we came to the United States, when, when Castro took over in 1959, my dad was a middle-class businessman, had a, a, a coffee-roasting company, a little oh. coffee-roasting company, which was confiscated almost immediately. And we had, my dad had a 57 Pontiac. Oh. We had a TV and a telephone in our house. And that was middle-class. Oh, yeah. When we came to the United States for the first time, three to four years, we were definitely under the poverty line. My mom worked in a sweatshop for over a decade. My dad never had less than two jobs. Worked every Saturday that I can remember because he used to take me with him on Saturdays. So um, it's called the American dream. You pay the price of admission. You work hard. This country allows you to do that. And when you get things handed to you, so easily, so easily, then you don't appreciate it. Yeah, you do not right. appreciate something unless you earn it, usually earned it the hard way. You're 100% right. By the way, you just gave me a great memory. We, uh, When we were in Cuba, it was Catherine's birthday. So we took her, that's when we took her to... Uh, I don't remember where we went that night. Did we go to Tropicana that night for your birthday? I don't know. But we were picked up. The reason I'm even bringing this up, Rick, is because we were picked up in a 1955 Pontiac convertible. My God, was that fun. The car, the cars down there are just amazing, Rick. Yeah, but you know what's even more amazing, though? Is that uh, there was a program, uh, I think it was called Trading Chrome or something, a few years back, where they talked about all that. They spent like 
six episodes just on going to Cuba, is those cars are, are in great shape on the outside. They look like yeah. what they are. <laughs> but the inside, they have engines and a lot of engines. And yeah. th- there was one in, uh, incident where the guy had this big Oldsmobile, and, and uh, he had a boat engine that he had converted <laughs> um, somehow, that, that ingenuity, and, and that's what he drove around town. Yeah. Oh God! It's just—it's just wonderful driving down the highway in a 1955 Pontiac convertible with my lovely wife going to the Tropicana. Great <laughs> memories, Rick. I'm telling you, they were great memories for me. There's no doubt about that. Are we doing? Well, I, I hope that you could do it again under a different regime. Yeah, yes, I we'll, love that. I'll do it with you. We'll all go down together. That sounds good. Works for me. Um, That's how Rick, it's it's pretty amazing that your parents, the job they did. Uh, do you have brothers and sisters, by the way? No, I'm an only child, and, and you know that's an excellent point to bring out, Tom. Because Thanks. my dad had a seventh grade education, and but he had a heart of a lion, and he was a pretty smart guy. When he saw what was happening, he said, "I will not have my son, my only child." grow up in in a in this kind of regime and because he couldn't get out they put me on an airplane when i was 10 years old to go to the united states you know when my oldest son turned 10 i looked at my wife and i said do you think that i would have the fortitude to put alex (laughs) on an airplane to go to a country that i never have visited that I don't speak the language, and that there's a very good chance that I will never be able to reunite with them. Uh, and the answer is a surrounding hell no. Yeah. <laughs> right. But my parents did that. In a program called Peter Pan, which was done by the mm-hmm. Catholic Church, mm-hmm. brought out 4,000 Rick products during wow. a two-year period. That's amazing. It is quite the story. I, you have to be so proud of your parents. You got to be proud of yourself too, though. You, I mean, you you did it uh, coming here by yourself. Boy, that had to, that'd be terrifying at first, wasn't it, Rick? No, no. Uh, really? You know, my dad brought me up to be the little man, and and okay. uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that I have some bad nights uh, at the orphanage because you sit there in bed and you know you're there for now for the third month, and yeah. there's other kids crying in bed. And uh, you, know, you get a little bit depressed and stuff. But, you know, my, my dad was a man of such incredible character. My dad was actually a cowboy before he married my mom. Oh. And he was the, the typical American cowboy, even though he was Cuban, you know. Um, he he taught me from very early, ride horses, shoot guns, the defend yourself, stand up for your, for your faith, uh, stand up for your, your country. Um, my dad molded me early on. But, you know, you said about me being proud about myself. No, I, I, not, I'm not uh, ashamed of my, of my life, on the contrary. But, you know, I feel blessed because I was able to pay back a little bit. I've been doing this for 50 years, and I still don't think that I've paid this country back enough. And you have children, so you know that we tend to gauge our successes by that of our offspring. And I have three kids, a daughter who runs two charter schools, and two sons who are advancing in the U.S. military. Um, that's my real success. That is a wonderful story. Rick, we're, we're lining this up. Soon as Cuba flips, <laughs> we're going to be riding around in a 55 <laughs> Oldsmobile convertible in Cuba, having a great time. We'll, we'll take the families. It'll be wonderful. You got yourself. You're a good man, Rick. Thank yeah, you so you much for yourself. your service. 
it, it's an honor talking to you, sir. But thank seriously, you very much. thank you, Rick. Have a good day. Bye. Rick Prado, ladies and gentlemen, P-R-A-D-O. The book is called Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. I, I love having people like him on because I this whole thing with, with Americans, well, and it's not just Americans, a lot of places in the world, but America's where I live. So, you know, oh, America sucks, it's terrible, everybody's terrible, and everybody hates everybody else, and everybody, no, it's nowhere uh-huh. near as bad as most places. Well, in the last month, <clears throat> I've talked to two um, Hispanic people that have moved here, immigrated here, and both of them said, well, what, I'm not going to say what countries, I'm not going to say their names because I don't want anybody to get in right. trouble anyway. Sure. Um, one of them, I said, I'm, I'm learning to speak Spanish. He said, why? I said, well, because <laughs> I think you need it, especially in Florida. There's so many Spanish-speaking people. And he says, he says, what do you, what do you, well, well, still, I don't understand why. And I said, well, I think in another, you know, 15 years, probably that's going to be the dominant um, language in Florida. And he said, oh, if that happens, I'm moving out of this country. I said, why? <laughs> he said, because I do not want to live in a, in a, in a Hispanic country. And I said, well, what do you mean you're Hispanic? He said, because I don't, I don't want the corruption from my old country. I said, what, I said, what happened? He said, oh, in my old country, if somebody wants you dead, you're just dead. The politicians have all the power. They just kill you. They don't like something you say. They just kill you. There's nothing you can do. And he said, I'm not kidding. I'm not being dramatic. That's how it is. And another person that came from a different country said the exact same thing. He said, it's just so corrupt. You have to pay off everybody to get anything done. Everything is about the politicians getting paid off. Uh, so, I mean, if people need to like tra- actually talk to people yeah, that come from these situations to see what it's actually like it, when the politicians have all the power. They don't become wonderful, gift-bearing, sweet no. people. No. They become power-hungry maniacs. And we're headed that way. We well, really are. You know, when he's talking about people fleeing Cuba, I'm like, people are leaving s- states in America. New York. People are actually leaving states because yeah, nobody can come to a common ground. We're we're preaching and teaching division and hatred of each other. It's not a good thing. No, it is not at all. There's no question about that. It was so. It's so great. So this kid comes, seven years old. He's in a in an outfit over there in Colorado. Eleven years old. It's a guy who's inspired by the love of his family and and apparently an instant love of this country to step up and serve and he's been serving his whole life and i love the fact that he pointed out you know pretty much exactly what you're talking about yeah and by the way i know that one person you were talking was from peru right yep i knew it i've heard him talk about it before he just said there is no way i'd ever go live it yeah i mean because you but you still have to be careful because people that still live there family members that still live there somebody gets wind of somebody said something against i'm you know you could be innocently talking about somebody and get someone killed it's just terrifying it is no you're absolutely right i just i don't know i was very very impressed with that and thanks to art sears for that because art uh, does a great job lining up guests there's no question about that but he uh he was terrific i I, see i just love hearing that and i know there there are things to criticize about the president's address last night but i just like the fact that he at least moved toward the center 
Now, he was told to move toward the center, which is okay with me. But we need to move to the center. Enough of this extreme left and extreme right crap. I'm sick to death well, of it. That's what he said he was going to be when he ran. <clears throat> yeah, he did. And then as soon as he got elected, he went way left and deleted everything that Trump did that now he's saying that we need to do. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I just I just want to tear my hair out with politicians. I really well, do. Well, you guys have lived through it. I've been I they've been trying to cancel me twice now. They did destroy my voiceover career yep. and that was basically the TV stations and the newspapers in the state of Minnesota that did that. Uh, destroyed my voiceover career and now there's a group of woke people trying to destroy my radio career. They just and part of that it's is a fun that, time to be alive. Well, I'm just saying part of that is because I grew up very, very poor. I never finished high school. I went to college for one day, and I still succeeded. And they do not like that at all. I'm a horrible example well, for the children of America. If you can't advance their agenda, then you're useless to them. <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm a, and again, I'm a terrible example to their children because I didn't do any of the things they said you have to do to succeed. None of them. They don't like that. I don't like that at all. What do you think of that, Andy? Uh, I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, I've spoken many times against those kind of people. No, you have. No, I know you. Well, that's why I asked you. I asked you to speak on it because you've talked about the cancel crowd anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. and why I, I don't understand how you can be either uh, far right or far left because you're supposed to be very, very woke on, to, on the on the left and very kind of religious. It's not really religious, but kind of religious ethics on the right and yet those are the people that destroy everybody else so what am i missing here you're supposed to be the best at it not the worst at it you two sides far left and far right you're the worst people in america how how do you think that you have all the answers when you're a terrible human being what do you think i don't think they do think they have the answers i think they just want to exert power over others so that it's a power issue more than anything else yep I mean, it's no coincidence that most of the people who are super far left, super woke, super progressive right now, 20, 30 years ago, they were the ones who were on the opposite side. It's because that was the most effective way to bully people back then. Yeah, And now being progressive is the most effective way to bully people right now. So they just uh, pretend to believe whatever is most convenient so that they can hurt other people, basically. That's true. Alex, what do you think of all this? It's hard to just have one opinion. I don't know. What do you mean, have one opinion? You can have your opinion. I pass. Oh, God, you coward. Coward Alex! That's me. Maybe she just disagrees (laughs) with you and doesn't want you to know it. It has nothing to do with agreeing or disagreeing. She loves canceling people. I'm talking about... I love canceling people. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never seen you do it, but I'm sure you're really good at it. Constantly uh, canceling people. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you on Monday with the family. 